Hello, and welcome back to Extremities. Also, welcome to a new decade. I don't actually know what day you're listening to this on, but we're releasing this final episode of Season 3 on January 1st, 2020. The day that marks the beginning of the 2020s, which promises to be one of the most consequential decades the world has ever seen. Over the next 10 years, we'll make decisions that will determine the future of global politics, of economic systems, and of our planet. It's a decade that offers great promise and promises great challenges. And nowhere is that more true than on St. Helena. Throughout its history, St. Helena has undergone several periods of change. Invasion by the Dutch, the arrival and death of Napoleon, the loss of the British East India Company, the fall of the Cape Route, the rise and fall of Flax, just to name a few. But all of these have been caused by external pressures. By decisions made by empires and companies that lay across the ocean. Never has St. Helena itself had much say over the events that have shaped its own history, but as the island faces this new decade, for the first time, they have the opportunity to change that. For the first time, they have the opportunity to be the makers of their own destiny. Thanks to their new airport and the coming promise of high-speed internet, the 2020s will see St. Helena finally, truly open and connected to the world. The global connectivity that has shaped much of the late 20th and early 21st century is just now arriving onto this rocky little outcrop in the South Atlantic. With this connection, St. Helena's potential will no longer be curtailed by isolation. It has finally given itself the tools it needs to forge its own path into the modern world. It feels safe to say that St. Helena hasn't had much luck throughout its history, but if luck is when opportunity meets preparation, with these newfound connections, St. Helena has, for the first time in a long time, genuine opportunity. This decade, as they step into the much bigger world they've now connected themselves to, St. Helena will finally find out if they're prepared for what's to come. Welcome back to Extremities. This is the final of six episodes in our season about St. Helena. If you haven't listened to the earlier episodes yet, this certainly isn't the one to start on, so I encourage you to start from the beginning. We'll get back to the future of St. Helena in just a minute, but first, I need to thank the sponsor that makes Extremities possible. As the sixth and final episode of this season of Extremities, it means it's the sixth and final time this season that you'll hear me talk about our sponsor, CuriosityStream the documentary streaming platform with thousands of top quality documentaries. Now look, I know that you've probably already signed up for at least one and probably more streaming services already, and you might be thinking, why should I add another one of these to my monthly bill? Well, first of all, CuriosityStream has content you can't get anywhere else. They've got originals from people like David Attenborough, Stephen Hawking, Chris Hadfield, Jane Goodall, and a ton of others. Second of all, CuriosityStream is super not expensive. It's $20 for an entire year subscription. Not $20 a month, $20 for the whole year. Plus, if you go to curiositystream.com HAI, you can try it for free for 31 days. But now, let's get back to St. Helena. If you were listening closely to this episode's introduction, you might have noticed me mention something that we haven't talked about yet. High-speed internet. We have, of course, though, mentioned the slow-speed internet. Right now, it's just not great. It's expensive, it's slow, and there's very little bandwidth. So our internet is, is facilitated by a satellite, basically. And um, because of the, I suppose, pipe that can be um, uploaded and downloaded through that satellite, it means that the island is restricted on how much bandwidth it can use. 
That's Nicole Shamir, chief economist for the government, whose voice you've been hearing throughout the season. There's a bit of latency issues as well, because when you say send data up via a satellite, it takes a few milliseconds to come yes. back down. So uh, internet is slower than most um, large economies, although it's not, it's not too bad. It's There's not been... Terrible. It's not terrible. There's been progress, certainly, the last few years. Um, it's very expensive, but even that, the, the, the price has gone down. But um, I'm in no way suggesting that the internet is in a good place at the moment. Nicole is an extraordinarily intelligent expert, which is why we've used so much of her audio in this season of Extremities. But her saying that the internet on St. Helena is, quote, not too bad, is probably the only time in our entire two-hour interview that I think she was wrong. The internet on St. Helena is pretty bad. Maybe she's just gotten a bit too used to it. If you've ever used airplane Wi-Fi, St. Helena's Wi-Fi essentially runs off the same system of satellites, except in this case, it's 5,000 people's internet all going through one ground station and just one satellite. While we were there, I was doing the voice recordings for the final episode of Season 2 of Extremities on Svalbard, and getting those audio files, which are not large, uploaded and sent to Eric to edit them was, let's just say, not an easy feat. In fact, St. Helena is one of probably the last places in the world that has actively used DVD stores, which are all over the island because people don't have the bandwidth to use online video streaming services. I did overhear an unnamed expat, who I won't publicly shame for hogging the internet, say that his technique was to set Netflix videos to download overnight. That's because there are a few hours overnight when internet usage does not count against one's data cap, since that's when the fewest people use the internet, and consequentially, it also happens to be when the internet is fastest. It's all a complicated procedure to get a few episodes of Stranger Things, though, but that's all about to change. In fact, the reason we wanted to talk to Nicole about internet is that she's helping lead the effort to transform St. Helena from a mostly offline escape to a high-speed digital hub. So what's it going to change to? Well, um, we will have a fiber optic cable coming to the island. So we're talking super fast broadband. We're talking about an absolutely huge pipe so we can essentially sublet a lot of that capacity onwards to other users, such as satellite ground stations and data centers and things like that. So we're going to be this random little digital hub in the middle of the South Atlantic. The presence of high-speed internet won't just mean Saints can stream Netflix or better yet, CuriosityStream. It'll also open a whole new world of economic opportunity. Right now, the opportunity with the most buzz is satellite ground stations. So the reason the focus really has been on satellite ground stations um, as opposed to um, other kind of forms of um, digital sector is because it's a kind of known reality that that's going to happen. We do have a list of around 20 people who, um, or 20 different companies who contacted us and we're pursuing the most um, likely of those to get over the line by 2021. So we have a little space park in mind uh, with views of the horizon with connectivity to the digital line, which will basically be able to deliver them super fast internet, which is what they need. A satellite ground station is a special kind of radio station that receives and transmits information to and from satellites as they orbit around the Earth. Right now, satellites pass over the South Atlantic all the time, but there aren't many ground stations that can talk to them as they do so, and so, as one of only a few places of land in the South Atlantic, St. Helena is the perfect place to put new stations. If this is all sounding a bit familiar to you, that's good. 
it means you listened to Season 2 of Extremities, where we talked about how Svalbard is doing the exact same thing, using high-speed internet to turn its remoteness into a selling point. In fact, Svalbard was part of the inspiration for St. Helena's decision, something we didn't know at first, but we're very excited to find out. Yeah, so um, in the early days, um, one of the case, start, uh, case studies was um, Svalbard. And that was what season two of our podcast. podcast was about. Amazing. You love Svalbard. Every whole section on this. That just gets us really Sam excited. went there. But yeah, I saw that coming. I'm That's... glad we got there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you could see the excitement yeah. in his eyes. Anyway, so I'll, I'll, tell you, well, I'll tell you a little story about that. So this kind of friend of the island, um, Christian van der Rob, he had a, um, an old friend who was out in St. Helena doing a bit of a research project. And Christian asked him what the internet uh, was like here, and his friend complained about it quite heavily. That same week, Christian found out that there would be a potential fiber optic cable coming across the, um, the South Atlantic and started lobbying and writing articles about how that cable could quite easily just pass by or have a small branch to the island and really make a huge difference. So um, Christian went to um, MPs, and DFID and basically lobbied them to put in for this project. And the main example he used was Svalbard as to how you can essentially fund a fiber optic cable on a tiny island with hardly any customers at all. But satellite ground stations aren't the only opportunity high-speed internet brings. St. Helena is also hoping to use it to market the island as a hub for what are called digital nomads, people who work remotely, online, often while traveling the world. The island's pitch is simple but compelling. If you can work from anywhere, why not work from an island paradise? A lot of studies on development in rural areas really focus on um, how development can occur once you've got superfast broadband. So you've got a few studies looking at um, the highlands, for example, and other kind of extremities of the UK. Certainly the, the suggestion is once you get um, broadband, a lot of people who are enterprising starts doing their own uh, work from home. So you, things like graphic design, um, website management, um, even some of the um, production stuff that you can do at the back end of, um, say, filmmaking or photography and things like that. So IT and media and digital are obviously growing sectors and a lot of these, you can spend a large proportion doing it anywhere. So why not send Lena? What's really worth considering is that, with the mix of flights, fast Wi-Fi, and a fantastic environment and culture, St. Helena, as one example, suddenly becomes a perfect place for a second home. One of the biggest nearby centers of wealth is South Africa. South Africa is a relatively dangerous place, whereas St. Helena is one of the world's safest places. It's a place where nobody locks their cars or houses and kids are left to roam as they please. After all, as Basil George explained earlier this season, if you commit a crime, there's not really anywhere you can hide. Surely South Africans would want to visit and potentially regularly vacation to a place where they could safely walk the streets and hike the hills. This all, though, is a bit of a chicken and the egg problem. Many of the people who have the means to buy a second home would not want to deal with the inconveniences of life on St. Helena while vacationing. The inconvenience of the long trip was taken care of already, the inconvenience of slow Wi-Fi and therefore an inability to work remotely is soon to go away, but there are still problems of a regular fresh food supply, limited local infrastructure, and limited organized activities. If people started to make St. Helena their second home though, these things would change in concert. They would get more flights, more food, more fancy restaurants, and the like. 
What they really need, though, is investment. They need some wealthy developer to take the risk of building nice homes, nice restaurants, and nice hotels so these inconveniences are taken care of. At that point, at least the hope is that people will come and boost the local economy. There has long been talk and proposals for large-scale tourism investment on St. Helena, but nothing's concrete yet. It's a really big risk for anyone. St. Helena surely has potential, but it's an entirely untested market, and nobody knows how those that would buy homes or visit a large resort will react. So for now, there's neither the chicken nor the egg. As this is the last episode of Extremity Season 3, it's also the last time I can take advantage of full-on brand synergy when I tell you about our documentary, The World's Most Useful Airport, which we shot on St. Helena during the same trip where we made this season. I promise, if you liked this season of Extremities, you'll definitely like our documentary, and it's streaming right now on Nebula, the streaming platform that I helped start with a bunch of fellow YouTube creators. Once again, I know you might be thinking, why should I pay for more streaming services? Well, first of all, this streaming service has our documentary, which we're very proud of and worked very hard on. But second of all, Nebula has a bunch of other great originals by your favorite YouTube creators. And third of all, a Nebula subscription comes completely included when you buy a subscription to CuriosityStream. That's right, you can get a free Nebula subscription when you go to curiositystream.com ext and sign up for an annual $20 subscription. Right now, the British government sends St. Helena about $29 million a year in aid. Compare that to St. Helena's GDP of about $43 million, and you can see just how significant a number that is. Around 40% of the money coming into the island does so in the form of British aid, and as you might imagine, that aid is not without controversy. As you've heard us previously discuss, the airport project was funded largely by the British government, and when it ran into some bumps, British tabloids tore it apart, decreeing it as an example of the UK's government supposedly bloated foreign aid budget. What the tabloids didn't report is that the very point of the airport was to help put St. Helena on a path towards financial self-sufficiency. I believe that air access for St. Helena is the platform for improving our economic situation. That's Tara Wortley, a business owner, former councilwoman on the island, and strong advocate for getting St. Helena off British aid. Will we be self-sufficient in 10, 20 years time with the airport? It's hard to say, but I think as long as we're working towards that, that's a better scenario for St. Helena. We don't want to be reliant on British aid to fund our schools and fund our hospitals. We want to be able to decide where we invest our money for, for the people of St. Helena. While Tara's perspective, that St. Helena should do everything it can to wean itself off British aid, seems to be shared by most of the island, there are those who disagree. Some islanders, mostly the older ones, don't see any reason for St. Helena's financial arrangement to change. One of the most vocal is Basil George, our tour guide from episode one. We never had an economy here that paid us. We never set up for that. So to be a self-governing territory doesn't fit. Yeah, in your, in your part of the world, and even in, in Scotland, four and a half thousand people would be what? A village, small town? And would a village or small town be able to, by being a self-governing territory, and we have our own government, we make our own laws, could a self-governing territory uh, deliver all the service of a national government? Parliamentary services, legal services, immigration, customs, police, prison, fire service, health, I'm just listing him. Could they do it at four and a half thousand? No, probably not. No, you can't. 
See, so that is really, unless we face that reality, we were looking for one of solutions, fiber optic cable or the, or the airport. But unless you face the reality of the context, anyway, we're going to be running into problems. And be very polite when I say that. Whether Basil likes it or not, though, the government of St. Helena is working towards the goal of self-sufficiency, and there's no denying that, even if everything goes perfectly, it'll be quite a long time until that goal is reached. That's why, more than once, the British government has asked itself why it's necessary to spend all this money supporting this island of only 4,500 people, the size of, as Basil puts it, a small village in Scotland. After all, for the cost of the airport, the British government could have shipped every man, woman, and child from St. Helena off the island and to the UK and given them about $80,000, more than the average saint makes in eight years. More than once, proposals have been considered that would take the people of St. Helena off their island and put them somewhere else, somewhere that isn't in the middle of nowhere, where building an economy isn't so hard, and where the British government wouldn't have to subsidize them. I personally think that would be a terrible, terrible mistake, and it might not surprise you to hear that the saints agree. But before I tell you why I think St. Helena is worth preserving, I want you to hear it from the saints. Nearly everyone we interviewed this season, we asked the same question. Why is St. Helena worth preserving? I know there were a lot of options that the public were putting out there to say, move the people from St. Helena to the UK, find them a spot there. But you actually were taking people that um, live on the island, that has their own homes here, that grew up here, that has strong roots here, that their families and families before came here. There's a lot of history on Ireland that you'd be trying to root up and, and take somewhere else. And it is a basic human right. The beauty about living in a small community is the togetherness, the tight-knit community. And you don't realize you have it until something is happening and how everybody all rallies together. It's such, a, such an unusual place, but it's also people's home. And what perhaps the people outside don't understand is, is the home is really important to, to saints and to anyone. And if, if anyone to say to you, right, you've got to upstick and move to another country, it'll be a very hard thing for you to do. So, and, and, and in many respects, no matter how much money you offer someone, you know, it's, it's where you were born, it's where you grew up, it has your culture, your heritage and so on. To move away from that is a, a really difficult thing to do. It's a, such a diverse area in terms of uh, what you see and what you go through. We have so, so many different um, aspects of different parts of the world. You know, it's a British overseas territory, but nevertheless there are influences from Asia, from Africa, from the Caribbean, from Europe and so on. It's a melting pot and I, and I think it would be a, a shame to lose that. I would always say this is it's Irish unique. There, there are at least six different weather systems across our small island, given the mountainous nature, from beautiful sunshine to cloud forest. Uh, it is unspoilt. It is certainly a jewel in the South Atlantic. We have a history. Um, it's who we are, it's what we are, it's what we've, where we've come from that makes us what we, who we are today. And I, I, think it is in, I think it's everybody's responsibility for, to allow or to try and help remote cultures to be able to remain. I think it's important for the international community to see places like St. Lena preserved. The way of life here, the simplicity of life here, is, is special to the people and, and I think to the world where everything is moving in a much faster and, you know, capital-driven society. We identify as, one, as a group of, as islanders, as a group of people. 
to me that's special, yes. People are very caring to each other and I think some of the rest of the world has lost that sense of community and care and sometimes you just want to know that if you're in need or if you need support in one way or another that there's someone there to, to, to be able to help or at least care. St. Helena is, without a doubt, one of the most remarkable places that I've ever visited. I travel a lot and love travel and know I love travel, so it's tough for me to be surprised about just how much I love a trip. St. Helena, though, is in almost every way entirely different to every other place I've been before. First of all, it's strikingly beautiful, with an almost unbelievable diversity of biomes and weather systems. We're talking about an island that's overall tiny, but that has desert, volcanic rock, rocky beaches, grassy plains, misted forests, and lush mountains. It's windy, it's still, it's sunny, it's cloudy, it's warm, it's cool, all at the same time in different locations. Second of all, the people are truly, unusually warm and friendly. So many people offered us their time to help while asking nothing in return, and the number of times we were invited over to dinner after just meeting someone was, to us city dwellers, absolutely astonishing. Of course, plenty of places are pretty and friendly, but where else can you greet the world's oldest land animal, visit Napoleon's tomb, drink the world's best coffee straight off the plant, pop into six different biomes, swim with whale sharks, and get invited to dinner by strangers on top of a mountain all in one day? The answer is nowhere. Personally, I can't wait to watch what St. Helena becomes. Mostly from afar, but hopefully up close a few more times as well. As St. Helena enters this new decade, it does so as one of the most extraordinary places in the world, brimming with potential for those daring enough to choose to look for it. I hope you enjoyed Season 3 of Extremities. If you've made it up to this point, that means you've now listened to over 32,000 words about this rocky little outcrop in the South Atlantic. Making this season was a really incredible experience. The people of St. Helena were so kind and welcoming and wonderfully generous with their time. I want to thank all of the people we interviewed and whose voices you've heard this season. Amanda Curry-Brown, Dave Curry-Brown, Nicole Shamir, Philip Rushbrook, Mikael Dansois-Martineau, Helena Bennett, Tara Wortley, Gwyneth Howell, James Kellett, Pamela Ward-Pierce, Susan Obey, Tony Ross, Stuart Lang, Sibylla Lang, Debbie Stroud, Stephen Biggs, and of course, Basil George. I also want to thank Sophia Joshua from St. Helena Tourism, who helped connect us with many of those people, Debbie and Neil Phantom, who served us one of the best meals of our lives, and of course, JT Chapman, who was our intrepid driver and videographer for the documentary. Finally, I want to thank the people who helped me put all the pieces together and make extremities. Eric Schneider, our incredible audio engineer, who not only edited together all of my narration, but also found all the wonderful music and sound cues that made the season so dynamic, and Adam Chase, who pieced together and wrote most of this season, and who organized, did the prep work for, and helped conduct nearly all the interviews you heard. My name is Sam Denby, thanks again for listening, and as always, this is a Wendover Productions podcast. <laughs>